0: you, David. Hey, good morning, everybody. Really glad that you're with us today, and we're celebrating Easter together. And uh, it just looks like I think we got everybody in. Every seat's almost full, right? It's amazing. Glad that you're with us. And that song, the lyrics of that song, uh, really uh, speak to my heart as we talk about the hope that we can have because of the resurrection. It talks about the fact that Jesus Christ. After he was risen from the dead, that he did go to heaven, and then he sent his Holy Spirit, and his Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And he is the one who speaks to us and gives us hope. And so today what we want to do is we want to look at how can we have hope in our world? And as we look at the resurrection, it's really the way that we can. So I just want to, you know, welcome you. So glad that you're here. I know that on an Easter Sunday specifically... That we'll have people all over the spiritual roadmap and your understanding of Jesus. And I just want to welcome all of you, wherever you may be, and just know that what my invitation is, is that for all of us, that we would listen, uh, based because we're going to talk about the Christian hope today. And whether you believe in Jesus or not yet, that this is a great chance for you to hear about the Christian hope, and why we can have the hope we have, and why so many people in this room and around the world today were standing up and saying... That they believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And so, what I want to begin with today is kind of a typical Easter greeting. And some of you may be familiar with this, and some of you may not even be comfortable with this. And if you're not, you don't have to do it. But if you are, typical greeting is the leader says something like, He is risen, and the crowd says, He is risen. So, you guys know this one, okay? So, here we go. We're going to practice this. So, here we go. I'm going to go, He is risen. But you know what? I'm not sure you believe it. You know, it's just not quite there yet. Maybe you need some more peeps or something to get us going. Okay, we're going to do it one more time. He is risen. He is risen indeed. You know what? That greeting was the greeting that was shared all over the first century after Jesus Christ rose from the dead because it was the distinguishing characteristic That made Christianity different from all other religions, all other philosophies, made Jesus stand apart from all other prophets. He is the only one who was dead and came back to life. A dead man lives. And we're going to talk about the hope that you and I can have because of that as we look at this. Now hope is an important thing. It's essential to life. In fact, it's the most important ingredient that you can have if you're going to have, you know, the most fulfilled life in this experience from birth to death. It's hope. One of the most influential books ever written on hope was written by Viktor Frankl. He was a Jewish psychoanalyst, and he was put into the German prison camps during World War II, and he made observations of prisoners uh, during his time there. He was actually in Auschwitz, one of the most brutal and lethal of the camps that was set up by the Germans to basically extinguish the Jews. And so as he was making an observation as a psychoanalyst, then he survived, and he wrote a book later called Man's Search for Meaning. And in this book, he's talking about what it was that allowed some people to survive this incredible brutality and other people didn't. And what he discovered was is that those who successfully made it through the torture and the suffering were the ones who had a hope in something better than what they were in at the moment. A hope that was something better than their present reality. So here's this quote. Life in a concentration camp tears open the human soul and exposes its depths and its foundations. Now, When we talk about this today and how can we relate to this, I in no way want to say that our pain and suffering is equal to what the Jewish people went through in Auschwitz. But what I do want to say is that our reality is real to us. And that some of us today are going through very real times of suffering, of pain, of loss, of disappointment, of bitterness, discouragement. And so we can all at some level relate to this idea that he talks about here, that life in a concentration camp, so life that's difficult and it struggles, tears open the human soul and exposes its depths and its foundations. It exposes what it's been built upon. He goes on to say, Life only has meaning if we have a hope and a meaning that suffering and death cannot destroy. Only way. His observations were that the real foundation of resilience, how you deal with the pain and suffering and difficulty of life, the real foundation of resilience is based upon what you are living for. It's your hope, what you believe about the future. And if you have a belief in the future where pain and evil and suffering is somehow redeemed or somehow resolved or somehow changed in some way, then you can make it better through the difficulties that life brings. In other words, here we go. Your future hope determines completely how you handle your present reality. Your future hope determines how you're going to be able to handle your present reality. Therefore, the key to making it through the difficulties of life is not to place your hope in health, not to place your hope in wealth, not to place your hope in family, or professional achievement or power or position in society these are all things that are finite and they're based on circumstances and because they're circumstances they can be changed and they can be lost the key to make it through the sufferings that we face in life the difficulties is to place your hope in something permanent that never decays that is imperishable and cannot be lost even when death knocks at the door and that's why all over the globe today, all over our planet, there will be people gathering in churches and they will be reading out loud the verses that John, that Mark read to us just a moment ago from first Peter chapter one, when Peter writes, blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. If you have your a message notes out, you want to grab those out and look at those. You can write, underline that living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay, so you want to grab those message notes out. Let's take a break there. Look in your program. Grab your message notes out. They'll allow you to follow along with my talk. I have all the verses there as well. If you have your Bible, you can open to John chapter 20. That's where we're going to be for the stories we're going to look at today about hope as we look at this together. And I just want to give you another word about a Bible. We'd love to see everybody in Nevada County have a Bible in their home. And so if you don't own a Bible, when you leave today on both sides of the auditorium, when you leave, you're going to find bookshelves filled with Bibles. And if you do not own a Bible, take one today as our gift. We want to give you a Bible because we'd love for you to be able to read about this on your own at home. So the reason that hope is so important is that there's no way to get through life unless you know how to get through suffering unless you can get through suffering. And there's no way to get through suffering unless you have a living hope, one that cannot be destroyed, one that cannot die. So if we base our hope on something that's not going to last or that's going to die, then we're going to be in real trouble. I'll show you a picture. This is a picture of my beautiful bride and me on our wedding day. In May, we will next month. We'll celebrate 24 years of wedded bliss. And uh, you know, I just want to make a comment on this picture. And when I make this comment, I'm not referring to her. You know, I'm not. I'm, I'm smarter than this. Okay, so I'm not referring to her. So I want you to look at the picture and look at me, and then now look at me. You notice something happening? Well, other than that, <laughs> let me just tell you, I, I, with honesty, I'm dying. I'm decaying. I'm not going to be here forever. And if I base my life on the things that are going to die and be taken away, then I can't have hope. I've got to have a hope in something that's beyond this reality that we're experiencing together. So, what I want to consider today, in just a short time, we're not going to be here a long time. Just in short time, we have is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ offers you and me a hope that lives, and a hope that will never die. And hope is the strong confidence or full assurance that God is going to do something in my favor in the future. It's the strong confidence and full assurance that God is going to do something in my favor in the future. So let's look at these verses from Mark chapter 16, kind of set the context for what we're talking about today. You saw a couple of them on the verse during that video. It says this, Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out to per- and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. On the way, they were asking each other, who will ra- roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? But as they arrived, they look up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. So here's what's going on. Jesus has already been raised from the dead. We don't know the exact moment that he was raised from the dead on the third day, but we know that he was. And now we have people who are walking into this reality, and it's not expected. They don't expect what they're encountering at this moment. I kind of had that experience on Wednesday. On Wednesday night, uh, about 9 o'clock, my... Uh, wife and my daughter, they both been in, uh, were in Orlando for spring break with her mo- staying with her mother. And my son had made this announcement that, hey, this spring break he wasn't coming home and uh, that he was not going to be there. So I was alone. They'd left on Friday, so we're going, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. And I'm just getting lonelier every day, okay? <laughs> and I know lots of people ask me, you know, I did things, but I was still getting lonelier. And at 9 o'clock on Wednesday night, and I just texted my son... Uh, about 6 o'clock on Wednesday night and said, I'm thinking about you and I could just cry. <laughs> and the, my phone rang at 9 o'clock and it was my neighbor. And my neighbor said, Ron, somebody's left a piece of luggage in your driveway. And I said, oh really? So I you know, hung up the phone, said thanks a lot, walked outside and there's a suitcase in my driveway. And then I hear this voice out of the darkness. Dad? Oh, my word. It was my son, and he had surprised me coming home because he knew that that would boost me up and it really did but it was not expected. Now in no way do I equate that with what was going on here. Okay, It was awesome to have my son home. We had a great experience but these folks are going through something that they didn't expect in any way. It was a surprise. The two women entered the tomb. They saw the angels who were there. Those angels directed them to go to Peter and to the disciples and tell them so Peter and John ran to the tomb and they get to the tomb and they see the burial cloth lying as if the body had simply evaporated and they're in that place. And it says then that, and they went home. But Mary Magdalene, she was driven just a little bit more. And she decided that she would go back to where the tomb was and she would actually look for the body. Get it? Look for the body because she did not believe. She did not expect. Jesus had said time and time again, I will rise from again. I will rise from the grave. I will rise from the grave time and time again. Nobody got it. Nobody believed it So she goes looking for the body And so we're going to talk about How that experience impacted her And what I want to do is We're going to walk through John chapter 20 now And we're going to look at the encounters That people had with the risen Jesus On the very first day and then a week later And what we can learn about hope So i want to write this down First thing is this The resurrection gives me hope To release the stone of distress Release the stone of distress And another way to say it might be sorrow or grief. Release the stone of sorrow, distress, or grief. So Mary Magdalene, what we know about her was just kind of in passing, there was a statement made. And it's in Luke chapter 8. And it says that Mary Magdalene was a woman who had been delivered from seven demons. And that she had been healed of demon possession. And it says seven demons. Now, in the Bible, when it uses the term seven, it doesn't always mean one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Sometimes in the Bible, when you see the figure seven, it's referring to many, or a legion of, or in our vernacular, mega. So she was mega-possessed. And so because she was mega-possessed she was ostracized, that she would be set aside, that she was ridiculed, that she was bullied, uh, that she was not accepted, that I'm sure she had struggled finding a home, that she had her family had rejected her, and all of these things. This is the life that she lived as a woman, demon-possessed, in this culture, and Jesus comes, and Jesus delivers her and heals her of this demon possession. So you can imagine what she felt about Jesus. For the first time, there's a man who calls her name and he doesn't want something in return. For the first time that she's spoken, her name is spoken, and in that Mary as it's spoken, she hears the fact that someone loves her. So this is what's happening with Mary, and we can now get a sense of why she would be the one who's driven the most to go and try to discover what actually happened to Jesus. Let's read what happens. Mary was standing outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she stooped and looked in. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. So this is how desperate she is. She actually believes that she can go carry the body of Jesus away herself as a woman. Mary, Jesus said, she turned to him and cried out, "Rabbi," which is Hebrew for teacher. And he says, don't cling to me for i haven't yet ascended to the father so mary as we meet her right here she's crying and grieving based upon what i just told you about her you can imagine the depths of her sorrow the depth of the distress that she's feeling she didn't still she still didn't know why it was that jesus was missing from the tomb she still thought that somebody had come along and stolen his body See, Mary was deeply distressed, and in that distress, I think she was blind with grief. She had lost the only one who had ever shown her respect, the only one who had ever shown her love, true love, the only one who had ever been able to draw out of her the person that she was, and that she could actually know that she mattered. This person is now dead. She had stood at the foot of the cross watching him be crucified. So you can imagine the grief that she's feeling. And then Jesus says to her, why are you crying? Now, when he asked that question, why are you crying, he wasn't saying tears are bad. Because then he goes on and says next, who are you looking for? And what, did he want her, what he wanted her to realize was that in your crying, you're missing the fact that the one you're looking for is right here. The one you're looking for is with you. And folks, that's the way grief is. Grief oftentimes keeps us from seeing things clearly, doesn't it? Just from seeing things clearly. And God wants us to know that he's always near, even when death has dealt us a painful blow that it can do. And Jesus turns to her and he calls her by name, Mary. And I just can't imagine what she felt. I know what I felt on Wednesday night when I heard dad. But this is Mary. And now she realizes that he's not dead. He's alive. Can you imagine the emotions that are going through her at this moment when she knows it's Jesus, and he's calling her by name. And when he called her by name, that was her word of comfort. It gave her comfort at that moment, and she was able to drop her stone of distress and let it go. See, folks, this this is the reality here. You cannot hold on to your distress, your sorrow, and your grief, and Jesus at the same time. You can't do both. And when Jesus said Mary, she knew who it was, and she fell, the Bible says, at Jesus' feet, and she wrapped her arms around him. And then Jesus says something actually kind of surprising to many people. He says, don't cling to me. Now, that word for cling, it was a you know, specific word, and it's a great word picture, actually, of what's happening here, because it means to grab hold of tightly, to... Hold so tight that if Jesus were still alive, it would have hurt him. It would have been that kind of death grip. And Mary's saying by her body language at this moment, "I'm never going to lose you again. I'm never going to lose you again. I've got you. I'm never going to let go." Can you imagine what she was feeling and the emotion? And what Jesus it seems to be saying at this moment is, "Mary, you don't understand. Don't hold on to me until after I ascend to the Father, which means this. Once I ascend to the Father, then you can cling to me. Then you can hold on to me. He's saying, look, I'm not raised like Lazarus. She had seen Lazarus being raised from the dead. And Lazarus being raised from the dead, he was going to die again. He's saying, that's that's not what happened to me. This is a whole new reality, a whole new another physical thing that's happening here. I will never die again. And he's saying, I will be the ascended, and I will be the risen, and I will be the living Savior available to all who want to cling to me. Everyone can. Now, he just told his disciples a few days earlier. He had told them, he said that he was going to die, and he said that after he dies and after he's raised again, that he will ascend to be with the Father, and then he will send the Holy Spirit. He will send a comforter to us who will be there for us in our grief. So what he's saying to her is he's saying, Let go of me now so that you can hold on to me then. Hold on to me then. And folks, that's what the resurrection of Jesus is promising us. Is that we can hold on to him. Is that we have his presence with us. And in our sorrow and in our sorrow and in our distress, our grief... He is with us. He is there. Now, because of the privilege I get in people's lives, and, and I say it's a privilege, I, I get to walk through some of the most difficult, darkest times of people. Sometimes it's just overwhelming. And oftentimes, that when we're in the middle of those situations and circumstances, I'll have somebody just kind of look up and they'll look me right in the eyes and they'll say, Ron? I don't know how people go through times like this without Jesus, without him. And what they're saying is, because he's with me, I have comfort. And I wish that for everyone else, that they could know that same comfort. So what I want to say today is this. Is I want to ask you if you'd be willing to do what Mary did, And that is release your stone of sorrow and distress and grief. And instead, take on the word of comfort that he wants to give you, that he wants to walk with you. So that's our first story of hope. Our second story of hope has to do with the disciples. And here we go. The resurrection gives me hope to release the stone of defeat. To release the stone of defeat. And if you want to put some other synonyms there, it would be fear and failure to release the stone of defeat or fear or failure. Now, it's common knowledge. You read the New Testament. The New Testament doesn't shy away from telling about, you know, how the followers of Jesus struggled with this whole deal about Jesus being God and then Jesus dying and then Jesus being raised from the dead. So it's common knowledge as you read the New Testament that after Jesus was arrested, all of his disciples except one, John, abandoned him. They abandoned... You know, they'd been with him three and a half, three years or so. He had chosen them by hand. He had handpicked them. They had listened to his teaching. That's why you need to realize that just calling Jesus a good teacher doesn't solve things. They would listened to his teaching, and yet they had abandoned him. They had turned away from him. So these handpicked, and then they abandoned him. And the most documented example that we have of this is Peter, because it actually lists his denial. And so we know the story is that uh, Jesus was talking and he looked at Peter and he says Peter I just need to let you know that on this night you're going to deny me 3 times before the night is over 3 times. And Peter, you know, bravado Peter, he says there ain't no way. I'm not going to deny you, Jesus, and he says no all these other people may deny you, but I'm not going to. And then later in the evening Jesus is arrested and Peter is tagging along as out of sight as he can, incognito, to see what was happening to Jesus. And he's standing beside a fire, you know, kind of like this, beside the fire. Jesus is over there being tortured. And a junior high age servant girl says, aren't you one of his followers? No, 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 not me, not me, not me. I'm not one of his followers. And then someone else comes up to his, Slave says, aren't you one of his followers? No, not me. And someone else says, one of your followers? And he says, dad, blast it. Whatever Jews cuss like. I don't know what it was. But he says, dad, blast it. He says, I am not one of his followers. And he cursed, it said, at that point. And then it says in the Bible that Jesus looked at him. And, G- and Peter saw Jesus look. And Peter knew. And I just want to say this. The deepest... Failure that I think any human being has ever known. Sense of failure and defeat. Because he, in his fear, had denied his Savior. So let's look at what happens when Jesus comes to these folks who denied him. Verse 19. That Sunday evening. So Sunday morning it's Mary. Sunday evening now. The disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly Jesus was standing there among them peace be with you he said as he spoke he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side they were filled with joy when i saw the lord again he said peace be with you as the father has sent me so i am sending you and what we need to realize folks is that fear will always cause us to lock the doors it will always cause us to move into a self-imposed prison you got to know, the last time Jesus saw his disciples, they were running with their tails between their legs. They had deserted him. Peter had denied him. And so you might have expected, the human part of me, might have expected that when Jesus appears to them in this upper room, he might have scolded them. He might have said something like, what were you thinking to abandon me? What was this about? Didn't, hadn't you listened to a word I said in the whole three years we were together? I was counting on you being there in my time of greatest need, but Jesus didn't say that. And this is what some of you really need to hold on to today. In fact, he didn't say anything about how their fear had led them into failure and defeat. He simply said, Peace, my peace be with you. And folks, what's happening right here is Jesus is speaking a word of grace. A word of grace to them. His closest friends, he calls them brothers. The same ones who denied him, who are now cowering in fear. He appears before them and he extends grace to them. And what we learn from that is we learn that our acceptance by God is not determined by anything we do. Our acceptance by God has determined what he has done for us. And when Jesus appeared before before Peter and the disciples in the upper room, instead of criticizing them, he blessed them. He blessed them. He took the initiative and he showered them with grace. And I just got to tell you, this means so much to me because I am a man prone to failure, prone to fear, prone then to giving in to sensations of defeat. And what I find myself doing, if I'm not careful, when these, when these kind of cycles start happening, is I start thinking, okay, I've, defi- I'm, I've failed Jesus. I've failed him again, and I'm uh, fearful in that mode." And so I'm thinking, what, do I, what can I do to make up for what I've done? Anybody else like that? What can I do to make up for what I've done? Well, folks, listen. Acceptance by God is not based on what we do. It's based on what he did for us on the cross. And that's why the series we just finished on the seven last sayings of Jesus from the cross has been so meaningful for us as a church family because we realize it's by grace. It's by grace. See, if we place our hope in our perfection or we place our hope in our performance, then every time we end up not being perfect or every time we don't perform up to the level or standard that we've set, then we're crushed and we're defeated by that failure. But if we place our hope in the grace of Jesus Christ, that we are loved in spite of our failure, then we have a hope that's secure and lasts. And so for some of you today, I'm just going to ask you today that this would be the day, this would be the day, that you release your stone of defeat and fear and failure and you receive the gift of grace. That's our second story. One more. This one happens eight days later. And the point is this. The resurrection gives me hope to release the stone of doubt. To release the stone of disbelief. Doubt or disbelief. And we're going to look at Thomas. Some of you already know what Thomas is known for, right? Doubting Thomas. We all know that phrase, right? Right, right. Okay, let's read this. One of the 12 disciples, this is, and you're going to see this happens eight days later. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord, but he replied, so he wouldn't believe by what they said. I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your fingers here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. What powerful words. And Thomas says, my God, my Lord, and my God, in response. See, Thomas missed the first time that Jesus appeared. Uh, we don't know why he was there, why he wasn't with the other 12, the other 11 at this point, uh, other 10 at this point, let's get the number right, why, he, why the others aren't there. He has no idea why, we have no idea why he wasn't there. We just know he wasn't there. And then when he heard about the fact that Jesus appeared, then he made this strong statement. I can't believe unless I see him myself and I put my finger in his hand and my hand in his womb. He's saying, I won't believe. He's saying, I can't believe. So one thing to notice here about his disbelief and about his doubt is that he was honest. He was honest with it. He was an honest seeker of the truth. He wasn't saying, I won't believe. He's just saying, I can't yet believe. And so then when Jesus did appear to him, what Thomas did is he responded with faith. He wanted to believe. He just wanted to have a foundation for that belief, something that would hold him strong. And he was asking Jesus to help him believe, help him believe. And Jesus says, stop, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. And when he did that, he was speaking a word of faith to Thomas. He was saying to him, Thomas, it's about faith. And then what happens is, at that moment, Thomas casts his stone of doubt or disbelief aside, and he made one of the most faithful statements that actually is recorded in the New Testament. He said this, my Lord and my God, and what had happened in that moment. You know, know, just basically, and you read that, you realize he didn't touch Jesus. He didn't need to. Jesus had assured him Jesus had given him the faith he needed, and he made this statement, my Lord and my God. He's saying, it's no longer their faith, it's now my faith, it's personal, it belongs to me. And it's not only personal, but I'm surrendering myself to it. I'm gonna call him Lord, and I'm not only gonna call him Lord, but I'm gonna call him God because I know now that he has the power over death. And I'm giving myself fully to him. I'm going to trust in the fact that he's holding on to my future, and I don't have to be the one who holds on to my future any longer. I'm going to give away all doubt, and I'm going to have a faith and a hope and a belief in something in the future that's better than my present reality. And Thomas tried. You know, Thomas tried to put conditions before his faith, but then when he saw Jesus, he realized the audacity of those conditions, and he said simply, yes. Yes said yes now it says at the end of that it says that jesus said to him blessed are you because you believed when you saw but he says even more blessed are those who believe who haven't seen and folks jesus continues to reveal himself to us in different ways and he calls us to let go of our doubt and so i saved my largest stone for last because i really think doubt is the one that's the biggest struggle it keeps people paralyzed, keeps people, I want to say, even in bondage to their fear, and keeps them from experiencing the hope that's available to Jesus. So today, the invitation is you would drop, drop your stone of faith of doubt and receive the word of faith and belief in him. So those are the three stories. And I'm going to wrap it all up with a picture If you look at this verse from Hebrews 6, 19, Hebrews describes it this way, talking about the hope we've talked about today. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. That's what he's saying. And so I want to give you the bottom line. You want to fill in these four blanks based on this verse and what we've talked about today. Here it's this. God wants to replace the stone that holds us back with the anchor that holds us steady. He wants to replace the stone that holds us back and he wants to give us an anchor that will hold us steady and secure. So I'm going to end today. i want to ask us to read a verse out loud together from 1 Peter one twenty one. It's a, really a statement of faith, a statement of belief in what we've talked about today. So I'm just going to ask if this is your in your heart and you can read this with integrity today. I'm going to ask us if we can, if we can read it with our loudest voice. We read it out together. 1 Peter 1, Ready Ready, go. Through Christ, you have come to trust in God and you have placed your faith and hope in God because he raised Christ from the dead and gave him great glory. We have a living hope. You see, Mary was taken from her Place of hopelessness, and she was given hope because she saw the risen Christ. Peter and the disciples saw the risen Christ, and they gave up their sense of defeat and failure and fear because they experienced grace. And Thomas, who had this huge mountain of doubt in front of him, gave up his doubt and he received the word of faith and he believed in him. They were all transformed by a living hope. And I think that's what we all want. We all crave for hope. So I- your heads and let's just pray a moment before we're through. Well, God, we just want to come before you and I just want to thank you so much for this truth of the resurrected Jesus. And God, I know that there are folks in the room and uh, that doubt has been their biggest obstacle from seeing you and that today they would like to release that stone of doubt And that begins with just simply saying yes to Jesus. And if you'd like to, you can pray with me. Write in your mind this prayer, something similar. Jesus, I want to release my stone of doubt. I want to receive the gift of grace. Help me to have faith at this moment. I'll let you know right now that I've sinned. I ask you to cleanse me, forgive me. Thank you for dying on the cross that I could be free today. And because you're resurrected, I ask you to live inside of me. Help me, Jesus, to live as you desire. You are my Lord and my God. God, I pray for everyone in the room. I pray for us today, those who struggle with sorrow and feel distress over their circumstances and situations, that today they would let go of that and they would receive the word of comfort that you want to give. For those of us who have failed, who have failed so much we feel defeated and we feel fear that someone will find out. I pray today that we would Receive the gift of grace, forgiveness, cleansing. No more residue. We just thank you, Jesus, that you're with us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.